You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, listen, they tell me you're supposed to do the Crossroads Crunch. So that means if there's a little bit of room next to you on the aisles, and then we get some people still coming in, it would be great if you could just kind of say hi and say, hi, my sweaty leg's going to be touching yours for a couple of minutes, right? Just kind of squish in would be great if you could to let people come in. But anyway, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad that you're with us here this morning. And our mission is that we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And what that means is we want you to have at least one person in your life that you're praying for, you're connecting with, you're sharing Jesus with, so they could discover Jesus and follow Jesus and lead somebody to do the very same thing. And uh, we'll talk more about that today, actually, in the series that we're in, but we also want to welcome our online community. Thank you for joining us, wherever it might be at around the country, around the world. Welcome to you, and we're glad that you're here. Um, and before I dive into the message, I just I want to let you know, I would love for you to join us for our last Vision and Worship Night That'll be happening on January 26th. It's a Friday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, and we would love for you to be a part of it. We've even got childcare available for you. Click on that QR code. Let us know. We'd love for you to join us. It's a chance for you to hear about some great vision for our church that's move, moving forward in the next year, year plus. And we want you to hear about it first. We want you to come and worship with us and be able to hear that vision clearly. And uh, for those that came on Friday, I believe they would tell you it was worth it. It was a, an amazing opportunity, amazing event. And that you will, you'll be blessed. We would love for you to take that time. So cancel your plans next Friday. Join us at 6.30. You will not be disappointed. And, and I'd love to see you there if you could. Uh, now, when you came in, hopefully you got some, some of these glasses, some, some 3D glasses this morning. How many people like 3D stuff, you know? Like, okay. So you know, pop them on. We'll put a little Doritos commercial up there for you so you can take a, kind of have your 3D fix this morning. But it's kind of like one of those trippy things, you know, like, where, where, where you don't know exactly, like, do I eat the Dorito? Like, how do I, how do, I do it, you know? But, but 3D is amazing, you know? It's, it's cool. Um, I remember my first 3D experience. It was with the Polar Express movie. You may remember, like, when the train comes and, like, right at your face, and you're like, ah, right, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's, just, it's crazy thing. And I loved it. I loved that movie uh, because it, it came, came to life. And now... 3D movies are everywhere. You know, you got Marvel movies and animated movies and action movies that are all three-dimensional and 3D. Uh, you name it, there's probably a 3D version of it. Now, I, I don't know if there's a 3D version of The Notebook or something like that. Like, I don't know if that would be a thing. It'd be a lot of fogging up of the glasses. That's another whole thing. But, but yeah, but, but 3D, it has the ability, don't you think, it has the ability to take a good movie and it elevates it to, like, come to life in a new way. And I, for me, it kind of spoils every other movie after that. It's kind of lacking after you've experienced something in 3D. Now, as I talked about a second ago, 3D stands for three-dimensional. And, and what that refers to, three-dimensional means, like if we use my trusty rhino here, um, that it really means the spatial dimensions of, of width and height and then also the depth of an object. So, so width and height and depth. Now, in our world, we, around us, we naturally see in three dimensions. Now, if you're watching us online, you don't see me in 3D, but you know what I mean. You, you, can, you can naturally. So that makes you, if you see that, you can naturally see this rhino in three dimensions. 
And it's because our eyes have built up a 3D, a 3D perception uh, sensor known as depth perception. And so depth perception is what allows us to see things with height and width, but also with, with depth. And so with depth, that's how you keep from running into things. It's why you could drive your car and keep it on the road. It's, it's why when you sit down in the chair, you don't miss and hit the ground. Depth perception is really important. But, but pictures and movies, when they're originally created, normally they're created in two dimension, meaning you can see height and width, or height and, and, um, and length. Uh, because when you see it, though, it's called a flat image because it's flat on the page. It doesn't come off the page. So this means that when you look at them, you, you'll see the height and width, but it lacks the depth for it to become a, a three-dimensional object. However, in order for you to experience the fullness of the image, you have to have all the dimensions work together. It's the only way the image will come alive. That's why when you watch, look at that picture or you look at that movie, you have the, 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 the glasses on that all of a sudden add back in that third dimension of depth. And, and that's what makes the movies pop off the screen. That's what makes the pictures pop off the page. But it's also interesting, don't you think, that when you're at a 3D movie and you've got the glasses on, and then for a second you're like, what does it look like without them? And you take it off, you're like, hey, right? You know, it's like, whoo! You know, because uh, it, it, it's all scratchy. It looks like you're underwater. You're not sure what to even make of it. It's all blurry. That's because the glasses have tricked your eyes into adding in that third dimension that was missing in the image. And those glasses help to bring the entire picture together so that you can see things at its fullest. Now, you probably are wondering this. Why did you take the time to unpack the physics behind a 3D movie, okay? With fair question, okay, fair question. And why did we watch a Dorito commercial? What is this place? Like, it's all gonna come together, trust me. And you're probably really wondering, how does this, how does this fit in to a Pray For One series because we're in the middle of the series that we're looking at how do we pray for our one. And week one, we said, well, who is our one? What is a one? And a one is somebody who doesn't know Jesus. They're far from God. But you're praying that someday they would know him as Lord and Savior. But then last week, we looked at, well, why do you pray? What's the point of prayer? And we said that praying for our one is how we grow in our discipleship, our following of Jesus. But it also allows, and it, it, we're leaning into God to soften the heart of our one so that they would know who he is as Lord and Savior. So, so how does 3D relate to this? Well, well, the reason is that not only are we to be praying for our one as individuals, but we are to be a church that is praying for all of our ones as well. And, and this 3D idea is actually what I want us to look at as we look at the church today and, and how praying for your one and my one together is how the church becomes three-dimensional. And I'm going to use some information that um, my friend Bo Chansey had put together. He's a pastor and a friend and author in his book. It's called Pray for One. We've used it as the inspiration for our series. Um, but not only are we going to look at that, but we are going to be in really three main parts of the Bible today. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be at primarily, but also Luke chapter 10, Matthew 28. Acts 2, Luke 10, Matthew 28. If you want to look in your Crossroads Grace app or your Bible, that's where we'll be in a second, uh, and we'll pick them apart together. But, but before we do that, I want to describe to you the three most prominent styles of doing church. Okay, now, doing church. You know it's important if I air quote it. Okay, so doing church. Now, 
Doing church is like insider language that pastors and churches use amongst each other to talk about how you, your, your approach to ministry. So that's insider language. It's like when you find out from your kids what bet and cap and actually an NPC means. Just like, what does that mean? If you don't know what I'm talking about, find a student, they'll let you know. But this, this insider language, this idea of doing church is something we talk about a lot. And there's really three main ways that you see it take place. You, you, it's known as attractional, missional, and relational. And each of these is, is, has a distinct approach to ministry. So the attractional model is, is based out of inviting people to be a part of the work of God at the church itself. It usually has a high emphasis on inviting and creating environments that people naturally want to come and hear about Jesus at. There's an attraction, if you will, to what's happening uh, that the people want to invite people to be a part of it, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, to the church to be connected. That's a, an attractional model. Now, the second one is called a missional model. In a missional model, this is where you find the church going beyond the walls of the church. They're heavily engaged in the community. They love to be in the community rather than in the building. You might even find them skipping church on a Sunday so they could be in the community ministering to people there. Uh, and that's the missional model. But uh, the third is called the relational model. A relational model is concentrates on connecting people to people through smaller groups, and they're less focused on the, the larger corporate gathering, and they emphasize discipleship that's growing closer to Jesus on, on smaller groups in smaller contacts with other people. And oftentimes you'll see churches, churches, churches focus a great deal of resources and time into creating those community moments, and oftentimes they'll spend a little less resources on the main experience of, of church. So those are the three. I mean, we see it attractional, missional, and relational. And so those three are really the primary ways, broad strokes look, of doing church. Now, naturally, when you read these, you probably say to yourself, Man, I kind of agree on some level with all of those. And I, I know I do because all of them have real value and they all have real importance. But sadly, what usually happens in the church world is that churches will often claim and say, oh, this is the best way to do church and anybody that doesn't do it that way is just crazy. Or, or you'll hear this maybe from time to time, maybe even in your own mind, you'll hear things like, oh, you know what? That's just an attractional church. All they care about is numbers. They're an inch wide or inch deep and a mile wide. They don't even care about discipleship. Or you'll hear, oh, that's just a relational church. They're just a bunch of Pharisees. They all get together and they don't want anybody to come in their groups. And it's all about that. They don't care anything about the lost. Or you'll say, you know, missional churches, I'm not even sure if they're a real church. They don't respect the, the importance of gathering together itself. So you hear these all the time. And so what happens is that churches will slowly eat at each other over this stuff. And we'll critique other churches and we'll say, oh man, you're crazy if you're not doing it my way. And, and we'll, we'll say our way is the best way in the same breath. And, and here's what honestly is heartbreaking about this. I call it Christian cannibalism. Christian cannibalism, the first thing that is, is sad is that, is that, it makes, uh, that it makes people far from God look at the church like we're absolutely crazy. I mean, if, if the church is a representation of God and we're acting like this, then it should probably be no wonder why people are running from God instead of back to him. Because who wants to be part of something that is just against itself, divided against itself all the time? I mean, there's enough of garbage of that going on in the world right now. I don't need to come to church to get more of that. But, but secondly, when we choose to eat our own young as churches, we actually miss out on the whole point of God's heart. 
Because God actually doesn't want us to pick one over the other. He actually wants us to do them all. I, I mean, why do we have to choose just one? It's, it's like if somebody says, hey, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? I don't care. I want a Sunday. Put it all together. Put the schmutz on. I'll eat it together. Right? Why do I have to choose this one? So, so why can't a church be attractional and relational and, and missional? They, they complement each other so well. So I, I actually want to prove that to you today. And I want us to consider and look very closely at the first church that we see in Acts chapter 2. Because what we see is actually this very thing taking place. Now, by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, a whole bunch has taken place. Jesus has been crucified, and he also has resurrected. And he's been meeting with people, his disciples, over 500 people, over the course of about 40 days or so, to prove that he's alive and do more ministry. But before he ascends back into heaven, he tells his disciples, he says, hey, wait here, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and then you are going to spread the gospel, my message, to the entire world. And, and we read about what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus would say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so Jesus leaves the disciples, and they are supposed to go and do what Jesus just told them right here. He says, first thing I want you to do is I want you to start in Jerusalem. Now, that's where they were at already. So they were comfortable. They knew where their Starbucks was at. They had their target. They knew how to get to place. They knew GPS. They were fine. Like, it was normal to them. But then slowly he says, hey, I want you to start then to start to go to Judea and Samaria. Now, that might sound far, but it was 36 miles away from Jerusalem about. But it might as well have been a, a, a country apart because culturally everything was so different in Judea and Samaria than it was in Jerusalem. But he says, no, you're not then there. I actually now want you to eventually go to the ends of the earth. So start in Jerusalem, head to Judea and Samaria, and then I want you to go to the ends of the earth. So it says that it means that Jesus' goal was not a local ministry, wasn't a regional ministry. He wanted a global revolution. Now, why would he want that? Because Jesus is for the whole world, the entire world. Uh, John 3.16, we love this verse, don't we? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to actually save the world through him. So Jesus is really for the world. Like, that's what he's about. So with this global Jesus mission in mind, this is where the first church formed. And it formed with a very unlikely pastor who steps up to give the first message. His name is Peter. And I say unlikely because Peter was a major screw-up. Like, big time. I mean, he was a disciple of Jesus, one of the three closest to him, but he actually denied even knowing Jesus after Jesus told him he was going to do it. That's a jacked-up dude. After God says, you're going to do this, and you're like, uh-uh, and then you do it anyway. That's a bad day, okay? He's a hot mess. That was Peter. But yet, despite all of his failures, Jesus forgives Peter, restores him back to ministry, and then after the Holy Spirit comes, back in Acts chapter 2, he begins to preach his very first sermon ever, and he was so, so convincing about Jesus and the need for his grace that it says 3,000 Jews were saved at one time. Yeah, look at what it says in Acts 2. It says those, that's the Jews, who accepted his, that's Peter's, message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I've been preaching a long time. I've never had 3,000 people say they accept Jesus at one time, okay? So, I, like, 
I, it's, it's amazing. But 3,000 people just say, yes, broken to the heart, confess my sin, Jesus, your Lord. Boom, mega church, just like that, 3,000 people. It, it's, it's amazing. But that's what happens when Jesus changes lives one person at a time. Peter was one guy whose life was radically transformed by Jesus. Yes, he screwed up, he was forgiven, and Jesus still used him in 3,000 people by the, by the Holy Spirit-inspired message that he, got, he, he gave now, except Christ. And that's because the gospel of Jesus is the most powerful thing in the world. It can, it can change a heart and heart, somebody that is far from God, all because of the power that's found in that message. And, and he does that through ordinary people who preach an extraordinary message. But this message can be preached or you could do church so many different ways. And the first church is an example of that. Because in the very next verses that we're about to read, this newly formed church that exploded on the scene with about 3,000 people in it, started to just do church. And I want you to look at it. I love reading this. I love bringing us back to this. Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, it says, they, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So this is an amazing moment. The church just starts to explode. They start doing church. But I want you to look very, very closely at what we just read, a little bit closer. Because what I want you to notice is I want you to look at what a healthy, growing church that is following Jesus looks like and, and what they were actually doing in that moment today. And, and so in order to do that, I want to kind of break it apart a little bit. So it begins by saying they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What you see them saying here is that this is actually attractional. This is an attractional way of doing church, if you will. The very first thing this budding church did was that they attracted people to it. Now, how did they do that? through the apostles' teaching, but they also said that it was done through signs and wonders being performed by these apostles. But if you were there, you would ask the question, how are they possibly able to do that? The Bible tells us that most people looked at them and said, these are ordinary men. But the, the difference between these ordinary men is that they had been around Jesus. And Jesus had given them the power to do that. We read that all throughout the Gospels. And they were doing signs and wonders. The Greek word for signs is semion. And Semyon is that the sign that's being performed, the miracle, is designed to point to the people to show them that they were chosen and special by God. So the people are watching these ordinary men perform these signs, and they're like, oh my goodness, if God can use them, maybe he could use me, possibly. And the wonder is from the Greek root word of teros. And teros is, it means miracle, but it means to reveal a hidden truth. So these apostles, these ordinary men, are performing miracles, and by them doing this, they were showing how powerful the truth of God was. And so they taught, and they performed miracles, and as they did that, it drew people to them through the message of Jesus that they were preaching. And so this is what the church should be known for. And in fact, what I, what I love to read is actually Titus chapter 2, verse 10, and there it would read this. It says, so that in every way... They, those are people that are far from God, will make the teaching about, excuse me, they being the disciples, will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Attractive. 
So as Christians, and Titus 2 is all about how we're supposed to live and to, to, to be with one another and to train up people. It's about how we're living. And so it's saying that by the way that we live our lives, we should actually be attractive. The gospel, our lives, should be attractive to those that are around us that would cause them to say, hey, um, I don't have what you have. Like, what is that? And what a great opportunity for us to say, oh, it's all Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And a church that is 3D should be a place like this, should be filled with people that love Jesus so much that they would want others to come and hear about him. And, and others should be able to see the way that they're living their lives for Jesus that would be inviting to them to want to have that very same thing. And guess what? You're not inviting them to a place full of fake plastic people. No, real people. Not perfect people, including the guy on the stage right now. We're just simply trying to follow Jesus the best that we can. And, and a church that is 3D should be a place that people want to come to. Listen to me very carefully. Not for the show, but for the Savior. And, and, and not for the pastor, but for the Prince of Peace. That's why they should come. And without question, without question, I believe so much that making church fun and enjoyable is a good thing. Church does not have to be boring. You can have fun while maintaining reverence. I believe that. See, see, I just believe that God is a God of joy. I read throughout the whole thing. He's talking about joy over and over and over. And following him should be the best thing you do with your entire life, hands down. And that should be something that people want to hear about. So we would want to invite people to this life that Jesus offers us. So it should be attractive because the gospel message is attractive to a dark world headed for hell. And so, so Jesus says, hey, make the, I, want, I want my gospel message to be attractive. You don't have to add anything to it, but the gospel is attractive in and of itself, but this church should be a place that's inviting and should attract people to it. Now, now, the second dimension that we get to read is actually here. It says, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, what that's describing is this idea of missional. Missional, this idea of it being a missional Church. Now, how does that play itself out? You see, they, it said that they had property uh, and possessions. And what did they do? They sold it. They sold it to anybody that had a need. It was this missional type of living that saw the needs of others, listen to this, it's crazy, saw the needs of others greater than their needs. Pa Paul would describe this crazy type of living in the book of Philippians, and he would say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of who? Others. The, the people in this 3D church were looking out for the interests of others in some profound ways. It says, man, if they had a need, they just sold some stuff. Hey, you need some food? I'll, I'll sell it, whatever I gotta do to help you. In our day, you need a car? All right, let's figure it out. Let's work together. Let's gotta get you a car. You need a place to stay? Get over here. I got you. I'll take care of you right now. Missional living is living as though the mission of Jesus matters to you. And that mission is to love the world that Jesus had called us to. But, but let me just be really clear. What I just described here is very rare. Very rare in our world. It, it, is, it is rarer than a starting quarterback not entering the transfer portal at the end of a college football season, right? That. But it is more rare than my wife shopping for shampoo and conditioner at Target for me. I mean, this is rare stuff that's happening. It's rare. Because look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 about how rare this really is. Listen to 
a description. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of healing every disease and sickness. He's missional. Then he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, read these words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus knew. Jesus is looking around. He's living missionally himself. He's looking around. He sees all the work that needs to be done, and he says, whew, we need more people. We need more people to, to live this way so that they would love their neighbor as themselves. And Jesus intended this to happen, yes, in our individual lives, but also as a church, that the church should be seen as a place that loves others and their community so well that they just get things done. They don't wait for the government to do it. They just say, you know what, hey, listen, we're a bunch of believers in Jesus. We should live on mission for him. So let's just serve our communities and make it better. Let's love our neighbors as ourselves. Could we treat others with respect and dignity and not have to be told by some congressman that we need to do it? Uh, do we, we should just be the hands and feet of the world because it's a dark place and we know the light of Christ. A church that is Jesus-focused will always love the world that Jesus came to save. And that's what it looks like to live Missionally. Now, the last thing that we see here, though, is it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What is that? Well, there's only one left, and this is what we call relational. Relational. They had, they had relationship with each other. We, don't, we only need to stay in this verse to see that God sees the power of a relational dimension to our church. I, I love it. It says that they met together in their homes they just hung out, watched the game. They broke bread. They, they had some pizza, threw it in the oven, right? They had some meals together. They worshiped together. They praised God together. They enjoyed the favor of one another. They just enjoyed life together. And guys, this is something that we should continue today. It, it, it wasn't just because, oh man, I mean, they, they, that was back in the day. They didn't have travel sports. They didn't have football games to go to. Of course, that's all they're gonna do. Well, this is what we should be doing. It's why I'd love to piggyback off of what Kelly and Mary said earlier. I want us all to be part of a growth group. I want you to sign up for one this spring. Being part of, a, of an unstoppable group for the next five weeks starting in February. Growth groups are actually an environment where you see what's taking place in Acts play out. But by joining a group, you, you grow in your faith, but you also grow in friendship and community. And one of the biggest things that's lacking in our world today, do you know what it is? Genuine community. People hanging out, having people that... We are starving for community. And you know who loves it? Satan. He knows if, we can, if he can get us alone, he can kind of pump things into our head and our spirit that are all kinds of falsehood, and he'll have a field day with us. Don't, don't let that happen. So, sign up for a group, crossroadsgrace.org slash groups, get connected. And, and I, I don't know, after all, I think what the writer of Hebrews said is still true. Hebrews chapter 10, he would say this. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this idea of meeting together is, is both a context of the church itself, we need to meet together, but also in community with other people. We should never live life alone. And a church that is 3D knows how important this relational aspect is to the overall health of the person 
and of the church. So there you have it, attractional, missional, relational, a healthy 3D church, one that cares about the lost and those that are far from God and reaches out to them, attractional, wants people to have relationship and discipleship and grow closer to Jesus, that's relational, and also loves the community in which they're in, that's missional. And the only way this can happen, individually or, or as a church, is if we stay focused on what Jesus told us in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. In the Great Commandment in Luke chapter 10, we get to read where Jesus would tell us, or Jesus talking to some Pharisees, talks and says, love, he says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment. But then he also says this, this great commission that Jesus himself would give us in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, I want you to love God. I want you to love people and I want you to live on mission for me. To use our 3D language, I want you to have a life that loves the gospel so much that's an attractional, that, that you actually live in mission and in your communities, that you're relational with one another, that you should be 3D, that this should be the heart of a church to have a three-dimensional church. We, we should be a church praying for our ones to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Remember the prayer that we're praying each and every week is, Lord, give me one. That's what we're asking, Lord, give me one. And praying for our ones should be at the center of all that we do. Why? So we can invite them to a relationship with Jesus, so that they can come into community where discipling takes place, so that we can work together and go into our communities to reach more people for Jesus, because that's the heart of all that we do. And, and you know the proof that this is the right way in order to do churches, not just my words, because what do we see as the fruit of what happens in that first church in Acts chapter 2? Because in verse seven, it says, and the Lord added to there, that's the church's number, daily those that were being saved. Every day. The goal of the church that is following Jesus should always be to see more people come to faith in Christ, to become a disciple of Jesus and follow him with their life and for them to share their faith with someone else. And that happens through being a 3D church. So, so we must be a 3D church that's filled with people praying for our ones. Lord, give me one but so that Jesus can be made famous in our communities, in our homes, and in people's lives. Because that is what happens when we put on the 3D glasses and start to pray for one. Lord, give me one. Because listen to me, being a 3D church keeps it from going flat. A 3D church should show Jesus in all of his full dimensions. It should show his true love, his grace, his mercy, it should show what it looks like if you don't accept him as Lord and Savior. It should look like what forgiveness looks like. It should look like everything that you possibly can, every dimension of Jesus. And, and, and do you know when you know you're that kind of church? It's that after you have d decide that you're a 3D church and this is just the way you live life, it's when you start to peek around and you look at the world a little bit and you realize how jacked up it is and it doesn't look the same as it looked before. It looks fuzzy, it looks underwater. It's because it's missing something. It's missing the depth that is Jesus Christ. And, and so Crossroads, I just am so proud to be a part of a church that is striving to be a 3D church. And it's been that way since the very beginning when Pastor Mike Moore and his wife Grace started in a little living room all those years ago. You'll hear more about that at the Worship and Vision Night, by the way. Love for you to be there for that. 
And this is, by the way, this is not a person thing. This isn't a me thing. Listen carefully. This is a people thing. This is y'all. This is you. You are what make Crossroads the place that is loving people in community through growth groups and just being there for one another. April, you know how important that is. You know that. Helping to disciple people to be more like Jesus. Praying for your ones consistently. Inviting people to be part of the church. That's what you do every single week. You just bring them to hear whoever's up here preach, but then you go and do the work. Tag your it. That's what you're supposed to do. And, and honestly, we don't do it good all the time. We do not. Sometimes we are, have seasons, and man, as a church, we are missional. We're impacting our community. And other times we don't do a good job. Sometimes we're knocking out of the park when it comes to relationships and growth groups and all of those things. And then sometimes we just lose sight of it. We become individually focused and we stop making good connections. And as the leader of the church, I'll own that, right? But even though we might not hit the mark all the time, the truth is that we can never stop trying to be a 3D church. We must always be looking to be a 3D church to our communities and to the world. And the reason that's true is because Spoiler alert, Jesus was 3D. Jesus was, was attractional. Do you know how many people wanted to come and see what Jesus did? The miracles, the signs, the wonders. Touching people that weren't supposed to be touched because they were unclean. He was attractional. People came to him all the time. Did you know that Jesus was actually very, very missional? He was always going to places that were far outside of his normal comfort zone. He would go to Samaria and places that said, oh, you should never go there. Not a good, upstanding Jew rabbi should never go there, but he went. He was on mission. You know he's very relational? He had his 12 disciples. He had three that were closer than any of them, Peter, James, and John. He had one that was closer than all of them, John. He was relational. He taught people in community. This guy named Zacchaeus was up in a tree one day, and Jesus says, come on down. I'm going to your house to eat saw Matthew, a tax collector, people that hated him more than anybody in the whole world. He says, I'm coming to your house, let's throw a party. Jesus was relational, he was missional, he was attractional. And that bothered people so much that they killed him for it. They killed him for the fact that he said he was the son of God's came to save them from their sin and the Jewish people couldn't stand it so they murdered him and killed him. But Jesus rose from the dead. He gave us grace, he gave us mercy. He did not allow that tomb to hold him back because he knew that this world needed him. And he loves this world so much that he gave his life up for it. But when he ascended into heaven, he turned and looked and says, this is the church. He told Peter one day, he says, you are the church and on this my, you will establish this on my church, meaning the gospel message. This will be the church and the gates of hell cannot even hold it back. And so I just tell you right now as a church, we must be a three-dimensional church that reaches people for Jesus because Jesus taught us how to do that himself. And so this week, I want you to read Acts 2, and I want you to read it with 3D idea, a three-dimensional look to it. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for us as a church. Pray for Crossroads this week. So much going on, I want you to pray for us. And then thirdly, I want you to join a growth group. Get in community, get some relation around you, be on mission, join a growth group. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray your hearts would be softened towards his, you would want to be a three-dimensional church, a three-dimensional believer in Jesus, and continue to pray for your one, simply saying, Lord, give me one. Mighty God and Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us even though we deserved it, that your word says that our sin deserves death and that we are apart from you because of that sin, but yet you sent Jesus 
your one and only son to die on a cross for our sins because he did love the whole world and we are part of that world. And Jesus, thank you for defeating death and not being in that tomb any longer. Thank you for raising and, and resurrecting to, to heaven to prepare a place for us. And thank you for leaving grace in your wake that says all those that claim you as Lord and Savior can be free of their sin and their shame and they can live a 3D life. Not because of them, but because of you. And so, Father, we, we lay this before you. We lay our church before you. We ask that you would help us to maintain a 3D mindset as we focus on you, Jesus, in everything we do. May the words of the song encourage us, challenge us, inspire us to be more like you as we prepare our hearts to remember you, Jesus, through communion. In your name we pray, amen. Once you stand to your feet, we'll worship together. Prepare your hearts for communion now.
That's what Jesus did for us, brought us into the glorious light through his love and his grace and his mercy, and which is why every week we take time to remember him through communion, the sacrifice that was done for you and for me so we could have eternal life, and so we then could tell others about that very same thing. So this bread represents the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We take and eat remembrance of him. And this juice reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus, the painful death that he had on the cross for us, so that we could have a new life, a new life that was bought at a price because of his, a new life that we we're called to live as light in a dark world. We take and drink in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this moment. We pray, Father, that as we look to you and we look to be your church, that we would do so in every possible way to reach those that are far from you, but that we'd be a church of depth and of love and of mercy and and that we would try our very best, knowing we won't always get it right, but God, trying our very best to follow you in everything that you've done. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave here, as we would be different people that logged on or came through the doors, Father, that we would be ready to impact the world for you by your love and grace, by what we've heard today and by what you've taught us today. And may we be three-dimensional this, this week in every possible way sharing Christ with those around us. But may we have a simple prayer. Lord, give me one. Lord, give me one. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Tag your it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.